You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Today on our Norwalk campus, Pastor Ken Bringus continues our God With Us series with a message on reconciling the future. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? It's the most wonderful time of the year. And for a lot of people, um, however, it can be a very stressful time of year. And it's not because of the cooking, it's not because of the shopping, it's not because of, you know, all the busyness that often surrounds the holidays, but it's stressful because of the people. You know those people. The ones that you love. The ones that you're supposed to love. The ones that are supposed to love you. The ones that you have to make an intentional choice to love because it doesn't come naturally the ones that you feel obligated to love and respect, those folks, you know them. The ones that if you had the choice this holiday season, you would rather not be around them. Now, don't look at anyone right now, okay? I'm just telling you, please, (laughs) listen to what I'm saying. Um, But, you know, these folks, you'd rather not be around them around this time of year, but it just so happens uh, you're expected to be at their place, or they've already been invited to your place, and you kind of get that feeling, you know that feeling that you have when you realize you have to spend a few hours, maybe even a few days, pretending, pretending everything's fine, pretending that what actually happened never happened, pretending to be the normal, happy family, pretending he was there when he really wasn't, pretending she was the best friend or the best sibling when you really know they were, the, they were less than the ideal friend or sibling, pretending that everything is cool when in the back of your mind you've already thought through all the convincing reasons that things are not as good as they could be between you. And you don't want to bring it up because, frankly, it's just too awkward. But hey, it's Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And you're supposed to be happy and jolly and joyful at Christmas because it's the season where everyone expects you to be in a perpetually good mood, which would be easy, aside from the fact that you know Deep on the inside of you, you're going to have to wear a mask for a little while to get past these next few hours or these next few days without any drama. Now, if you're thinking, Pastor, how did you know? You might be thinking your experience of this is unique, but in actuality, it's not all that unique. Christmas has a way of surfacing the stuff that we stuff all the rest of the year. Has a way of surfacing the things that we spend the rest of the year pretending don't exist. The stuff that we stuff that we think will just dissolve magically. Or the stuff that we hope time will automatically heal. But as it turns out, another year goes by and another Christmas comes along, and with it, 
the deferred hopes and the nagging fears of all of those years come crashing right in. And so you hear that song, I'll be home for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas, right? And you wonder. I wish I could. (laughs) But you wonder, is that a promise? Or is that a warning? So today, we're going to talk about what to do with all those relationships in your life where you feel like there's nothing more you can do. Where perhaps you think and feel like you've done all that you can do. Or maybe there's been so much already done that there's really nothing left but to grin and tolerate and bear it and just hope you make it through and just hope you can try to move on either silently or not so silently. Today, we're going to talk about those relationships. And, and the word for the day, the word for the day is, say it with me, reckon, silly, Asian. <laughs> it's a three-syllable word. I'm just kidding. Reconciliation is our word for the day. Webster's Dictionary defines reconciliation as the the settling or the resolving or the restoring back to friendship or harmony. When you see this word show up in the New Testament, it speaks of the peace between humanity and God the ending of the estrangement or the alienation or, if you will, the cold separation between humans, us and God, and between us and others. But experientially, reconciliation, and notice I didn't say forgiveness. Forgiveness is a part of reconciliation. It's a necessary part of it. I'm going for the jugular this morning. Reconciliation is awkward. Reconciliation is counterintuitive. Reconciliation is uncomfortable. But tell the person next to you, it's necessary. It's necessary. Even though at times it's not possible, it's necessary. It's necessary for our sake. Because you don't want to be carrying around the weight of bitterness and anger and hatred for years and years and years, and then it sort of becomes the new normal in your soul, and then you realize it starts to condition your soul. So you become bitter and angry and hatred, and then you forgot what you were bitter, bitter and angry and hatred, you know, hate, hateful towards, right? And all of a sudden, no one likes to be around you because no one likes to be around bitter and angry and critical and judgmental people. And it just might be that it's because you stopped seeking to reconcile. So you've got to do it for your sake. You gotta do it. We have to do this for our sake. We also need to do it for conscience sake. Because there are, you know, when we realize that there are things that are broken down between us and another person, right, there's always that, like, that awkward, that sort of relational stalemate that happens. You know how that is, right? You've got... Both sides are waiting on each other to kind of initiate things like, you know, well, you know, they're the ones who did wrong to me, so I'm kind of going to wait till they bring it up, and I'll just kind of, because, you know, they're the ones that were wrong, and I'm just going to wait, right? Or, or maybe the other party didn't realize they wronged you, 
And so they're thinking the same thing, and, well, they're the ones who are avoiding us, so what do we do about this? And so the question becomes, who makes the first move? And you're thinking, well, it should be them, and they're thinking, well, it should be you. And then you start thinking things like, well, they're never going to make the first move, so why even try? But your conscience tells you it doesn't matter who makes the first move. So your conscience says, go and do something. Go and try. But let's be honest. You ready for some honesty with yourself? How many of you, whenever you've thought that, deep on the inside of you thought, I need to just make an attempt. This really doesn't matter who initiates. I need to make an attempt. How many of you took that little voice and just said, let's, let's push you aside for a little bit. And even though you know you probably should, you're able with great ease, to silence that voice of conscience at the moment. We know we need to. We know we probably should. We know we should make an attempt, but we find a way to excuse it. Because after all, it's too complicated, isn't it? What if I'm misunderstood? What is it going to do to the rest of the family if I do this? Uh, And so we let it go, and we let it go, and we let it go, and time passes, and we sort of hope that time will heal it, but there's something within us that we violated because we've ignored it and we've shoved it into the shadow of our soul. We violate our conscience when we don't do our part in seeking reconciliation. And this is true of anybody, whether you're a Christian or you claim to be a Christian or not. Now, if you don't claim to be a Christian, you just got to know that the Christian worldview teaches us that God made and created humanity in his image as a relational being with a craving for whole and holy and healthy relationships. And because of the fall, because of the sins of humankind, we don't always feel that way. But there's this hole in our soul that is longing for reconciliation. It's an intense, deep-seated need that's in every single one of us. Which is why it doesn't feel like your world falls apart, well, maybe for some of you, when things around you kind of break down. I mean, of course, it maybe feels like you lose your job, you know, whatever. The Lakers lose, keep losing, whatever. Then world feels like it's falling apart. But in, in actuality, the world feels like it's really falling apart when your relationships are threatened or disrupted or something's broken there. Am I right? And yet, we know we should seek reconciliation but we excuse it. We can't seem to get around to it. Or, what I hear sometimes is, we kind of are afraid of all the negative emotions that surround that attempt. Now for guys, with guys, it's not that big of a deal sometimes, right? Like if I got something against my brother, like, hey, bro, you did this, you did that, you know. Oh, yeah, oh, man, oh, don't, I didn't realize, okay, don't, it's, are we cool, are we cool, cool, we're cool, cool, cool. You know, handshake, fist bump, awkward manly hug, and we're good. That's guys and guys. Girls and guys, not so much, <laughs> right? Guys are afraid sometimes of the emotion. Am I going to be able to handle the emotion when she gets emotional when I try to do this, right? Or how about older and younger 
generations trying to bring reconciliation. That's tricky too because the younger person's thinking, if I say something, it's disrespectful. And the older person's just waiting, right? And, and so there's this awkwardness, I get it. There's this fear of it getting too emotional, I get it. And so we know we should do it, but we feel like we can't. We know we should do it like we ought to, but we look at the other person, it doesn't seem like it's bothering them, so maybe it really shouldn't bother me. Sounds complicated, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot of mental gymnastics and a lot of emotions involved. And then comes Christmas. And at some time during the holidays, we hear this famous song that we actually just sang today. And the song goes like this. Peace on earth. Mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We sing the song, we hear it sung, but the thought never comes into our mind that maybe we should do something about this. Or the thought never enters our mind that, hey, God and sinners reconciled, that's great, that's good, but what about sinners and sinners reconciled? Because I'm here to tell you this morning, that's the real truth behind Christmas. Many of us agree with this, that God and sinners being reconciled is the gospel, the heart of it. We can be put back into a right relationship with God because of his gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. However you want to say that, it's true. God and sinner reconciled, but sinner and sinner reconciled? I don't know if I see a lot of that happening in our world. I don't even know if that's possible in some of the relationships in my life that are broken down. I don't know. You know why? Because I've got 10 to 50 reasons not to reconcile with that other person. And they all seem like really good, justifiable reasons and witness-approved reasons. I've got some great excuses not to make that awkward phone call, not to send that awkward text, not to write that letter, not to send that invitation, not to set up that uncomfortable conversation. So let me flip it on you a little bit. Listen to me here. If you're a Christian, you know that God had an endless list of reasons to not reconcile with you, right? You know that. And, and that endless list grew out of one reason, because we all at some point in our life turned our backs on God. We all rejected him at some point in time through our thoughts, through our actions. Maybe we really didn't know it. We were worshiping our own righteousness even for some of us. For some of us, we just turned and lived the way the world lived, and we didn't really care too much about God. We didn't maybe care. We only cared about him whenever we needed him, whenever we had a problem, whenever life went bad and we went to him for our problems. We used God like an app on our phone instead of replacing the whole OS with God. You know what I'm saying? And so that one reason, God had a lot of different reasons that grew out of that one reason to not reconcile with us. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, the interesting thing is when you grow up in church, you actually learn to, that all the Bible verses written in the Bible that address the sins that you're committing. Now, some of you didn't grow up in church, and you, you're learning like later on in life, like, oh, the Bible actually addresses that sin. That's great. But I grew up in church, and I memorized all the scriptures that 
told me I was sinning, and, and I compiled that list of reasons why God should not have to reconcile with me. And so it's so amazing when you think about it. The cost that God paid, what it cost him to reconcile with us. I guarantee you, it cost him more than an uncomfortable conversation. It cost him more than an awkward email or a letter or a card. And yet, here we are, hindered by our own effort to reconcile with other people because of our fears, because of our busyness, because of our discomfort, our perceived, how is this, we don't know how it's going to all turn out. What if they don't reciprocate? What if they don't appreciate? And so it's much easier to move on, to, to kind of just ne- ignore it, and have yourself a merry little Christmas, by the way. So listen, the Apostle Paul, who never mentions the word Christmas, <laughs> and who wrote most of the New Testament, he, he doesn't give us a historical account of Christ's birth, but what Paul does is he expounds the theological significance of Christ's birth. And he takes us into Christmas without really mentioning the word. And he says these words in Colossians 1. He says, for God was pleased. In other words, this word means to be favorably inclined, to choose willingly, to be pleased with. He says, God was delighted, God was pleased. Meaning, what I'm about to tell you about what God did here, God, no one twisted God's arm to do this. He wanted to do this. He delighted in what I'm about to tell you he did. It says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's talking about Jesus here. In other words, all of God's nature and all of God's power and holiness and love and purpose wrapped up in a human body intermingled with human culture, identified with human struggle, all of God's fullness, as in when God made this choice to reconcile with humanity, he was all in. He wasn't half-hearted. He wasn't half-minded. He thought this through to the end when he made this choice. And he, he gave all of himself to this decision. And he became fully present to us in Christ. And he put himself in the real broken situation that needed healing. All his fullness dwelling in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. By making peace through an email. By making peace through an obligatory, obligatory Christmas lunch or dinner, by making peace through a Christmas gift or Christmas card. No. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He goes on. He says, once you were alienated from God, like God was a stranger to you. you God, maybe God even felt like an alien to you, or you felt like an alien to God. This is so strange. I don't even, can't even connect... You were alienated from God. Why? In your minds because of your evil, say evil, behavior. Well, you say, oh, pastor, I've done my share of bad things, but I don't know about evil, man. Like evil? Like evil? All you got to do is add a D in front of that, and it's devil. I'm not evil. I'm not a devil. No, I've done bad things, but not evil. Evil simply means like profoundly immoral. 
And we all have our categories of what profoundly, you know, what fits in that category of profoundly immoral. But you know, whenever we offend God, whenever we mistreat God, we're engaging in evil behavior. Whenever we mistreat someone that God loves, it's like mistreating him. Like there's this, this connection between love for God and love for people, and it's like you can't separate the two. So this is where really the rubber meets the road, to, so to speak, because religion will tell you it's okay to be reconciled with you and God and still not be reconciled with each other. Uh, religion will separate all of that out. But watch this. He goes, but now. In other words, something different has happened. There's been a new arrangement here. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Isn't this a great verse? Listen, if you're ever doubting your salvation, if you're ever doubting your position before God, you put your faith in Christ, man, you read this verse, this is what tells you how God looks at you when you put your faith in Jesus. I, I was reading this verse to someone a few weeks ago who was telling me, Pastor, I don't, I don't have assurance of my salvation. I feel like I need to get water baptized again and again and again in order to feel like I'm saved. I said, no, no, you don't need to get water baptized ever again. Let me show you why. And I read this verse to her and she started crying. This is you. God sees you like this. If you put your faith in Christ, you're holy and blameless without accusation in his sight. It's a good stuff, isn't it? And guess what? We apply this every day of the year. We leverage this verse. We apply it. You know how we apply it? Whenever we fail, whenever we sin, whenever we mess up, what do we do? We go, God, forgive me. God, I want to be re-reconciled back to you. God, forgive me. Right? Don't we do this? Whenever you pray, God, protect me and my family as we travel on vacation. Whenever you pray for blessings, God, prosper us. God, you're assuming that things are right between you and God, that you're reconciled with God in Christ every time you do that. So we apply this verse all the time, all throughout the year, because you're assuming that you and God are on good terms. You're assuming that when you say, God, forgive me, that when you say, God, protect us as we travel, when you do all of that, you're assuming that God's not sitting up there going, hang on, before I answer that prayer, remember that sin you committed back in high school? He's not holding your sins and counting your sins, your past sins, against you. You know what? He's not even counting your future sins against you. That's good news. And we leverage this to our advantage, and rightly so, and we should. The problem is that just because everything is right between you and God, you might start to think you don't need to make things right with others. As long as me and God are cool, that's all that matters. Who cares if I don't reconcile with them or they don't, can't reconcile with me? And I'm waiting, I've been waiting, you know, it's their ball's in their court. But as long as me and God are cool, we're fine. To which God would probably say, have you missed anything that my son Jesus said when he was here? 
Did you, did you miss some of the core teachings in Jesus' life and ministry? Where in essence he says that you can't fully appreciate or experience or embrace the reconciliation God offers you without seeking to reconcile with your brother or your sister. Because why is that? Because God loves them like he loves you. In fact, one of the important ways that we express the reality of living in a reconciled relationship with God is by seeking to reconcile where we know things are out of sorts between us and another. If we don't seek to reconcile, I know this is going to sound harsh, but if we, I'll show you, I'll prove this to you, okay, in a second. If we don't seek to reconcile, we are merely acting religious, but we really don't understand what it means to live in a true reconciled relationship with God. You want proof? Jesus said, therefore, this is the Sermon on the Mount, when you're offering, or if you're offering your gift at the altar, now he's talking about the altar at the temple in Jerusalem. For the common person in living in Israel, they would come to the temple in Jerusalem to get right with God. And they would bring an animal sacrifice. Sometimes they'd bring it from miles and miles away. Because that was what the typical person in that day and time did to make things right with God. To reconcile with God. They'd bring this animal sacrifice, they'd give it to the priest. The priest would kill the sacrifice and would offer it on the altar, the big brazen altar that was there in the courtyard. So Jesus is referring to this. So when, whenever he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you know, people are thinking, the big altar in Jerusalem, I'm bringing the gift, I'm, I can picture myself dragging this cow or this calf or this bird or whatever it is that I'm offering. It's bloody because the priest just killed it, right? We're, dra- we're bringing it up the steps of the altar. And then, he, then Jesus goes, imagine yourself doing that. Why are you doing that? Because I'm trying to get right with God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're trying to get, but remember, what if you remember when you're doing that, on your way to getting right with God, what if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you? I don't know why that would come up when you're trying to offer your animal sacrifice. Well, it comes to your mind. Oh, things aren't right between me and whoever it is. He says, watch this, leave your gift in front of the altar. You mean, it's not, it's not done yet. I, the altar's just right here. I'm right at the last step of the altar with my hands bloodied and everything. The priest is like, well, come on, take it up there. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? But you remember, I'm not right with some. He says, leave it there. Let, let it rot on the steps of the altar. And first, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. This is radical, folks. Because the point of offering a sacrifice was to get right with God. But Jesus says, as you're on your way to getting right with God, and you remember that it's not right between you and someone else, then go first and seek reconciliation, and then come and offer your gift if your gift is still there. In other words, it's not that important at that moment. Because that would have been an ugly, sloppy sight to leave your dead animal lying there 
on the steps of the altar rotting. And in some way, Jesus is saying that reconciliation between you and other people is more pleasing to God than the promise of performing religious rituals to get right with God. Because religion says, as long as we're good, me and God, I don't need to worry about being good here. That's what religion says. And Jesus says, forget temple religion. If you want real release and breakthrough in your worship life with God, then get active in the difficult work of reconciling with other people. God didn't reconcile you to himself just so you could be reconciled to him. He is laying the groundwork for you to be reconciled with others. Because if God and sinner can be reconciled, why not sinner and sinner? So in the next few days, we're going to celebrate Christmas. And uh, we're going to tell our kids, kids, this is the real meaning of Christmas. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the tree. It's not about Santa Claus. By the way, he doesn't exist. Oh, sorry. Should I say that, right? Because my kids, you know, we have this... My kids come back to me for some reason, and they go, Dad, why did you tell us so early on that Santa Claus didn't exist, right? I'm like, did, I, did we wait? To, did we go too early on that one? I'm not sure, whatever. But we know, right? It's not about all of that. It's not about all the, you know, commercialization of the uh, holidays and all that shopping. We say Christmas is about baby Jesus and how that gift brings us forgiveness and gives us salvation and reconciles us to God, and it's true. But for all of you in the room, we know that the true def demonstration of that truth is that we have the opportunity to do for someone else what God did for us. Because Christmas is not just a time to celebrate the reconciling love of God for us. It's a time to demonstrate that reconciling love towards others. You know what the Bible calls us? When we embrace the reconciling love of God for ourselves, you know what he calls us? We become ministers of reconciliation. Given the ministry of reconciliation and given the message of reconciliation. Paul says here, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, 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 okay, so this ministry starts with God. Yes, it is all from God who started it out. He reconciled himself to us, and then he gives us a ministry. Ministry, by definition, means it's not about you. It's for others. He gives us this ministry, and he explains God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and now he's committed to us a ministry of reconciliation. So if God is not counting the sins of people against him, then, against them, then why are you, why am I still counting your sins against you, the sins you committed against me? Well, pastor, you don't get it. You know, like, you don't know how much they hurt me. You don't realize the pain they caused me. You don't understand the environment they created when we were growing up. You don't understand the history of bad blood between us. And our families, you just don't get it, man. It threatened us, it hurt us, it harmed us intentionally. They cheated, they stole, they were unfaithful. They betrayed us. Pastor, don't you think God will understand if I'm taking a little longer 
in seeking to reconcile? And to that I would say, absolutely, God does. But he also knows that the longer that you wait, something in your soul starts to grow cold and die. Because his love in our hearts was meant to keep on flowing outwardly. And when we back into our corners of bitterness and sometimes indifference or sometimes fear and hurt, our soul starts to shrink ever so slowly. And so when we come to the temple to offer our gifts in worship, it starts to feel like simply religious service, religious ritual, calisthenics of godliness. Because, why? Because the love has really stopped flowing. So this morning... I want to set before you a challenge. Would you be willing to demonstrate the full message of Christmas and not be content with the fact that God has reconciled us to himself, but would you be willing to take the extra mile, to go that extra step, take the extra time to make that phone call, to write that letter, to send that text message, to send that gift, that invitation, that year after year you think about, but you're probably thinking, they don't care, they've moved on, they won't reciprocate, they won't appreciate, right? But remember, you were also like that towards God. How many times did God come chasing after you? And you drifted. And for whatever reason, you got hurt by people in the church. And so I'm not going to that church anymore. Or you got disillusioned. You got dis- discouraged. You stopped caring about God. You, you felt, I just need to move on from this whole God thing. And you did not appreciate God's offer of reconciliation. You certainly didn't reciprocate. Listen, God, no matter how you responded did not rescind his offer. He didn't take back his offer simply because you refused. And so, for some of you, many years later, after many people prayed for you, without you knowing what happened, your heart softened, you came to your senses, and when you finally came back to faith, God's offer of reconciliation stood firm. It was never adapted. It was never rescinded. It was never renegotiated just because you didn't receive it. Do you follow me? So, of course, it's almost to be expected that when you attempt to reconcile with someone else at this level, that they're not going to reciprocate. They might communicate they don't really care. They're not going to understand or appreciate all the time and effort you went through, all the soul searching, all the time you spent figuring out how to word it. They're not going to appreciate it. Because if they really did, they would have somehow responded to you or done something by now, right? We get that. But, But I'm here to ask you, so what? So what? 
in a few days, we're going to celebrate an offer that many of us spent many years turning our backs on. The offer of God's gift to us in Christ, his reconciliation. We rejected it until finally it dawned on us. This is a gift I cannot live without. And so, this is how the story goes. In Luke chapter 2, it says, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This is the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, meaning to say this happened in real time, in real history. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, and he, he had to. Like, he didn't have a choice. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. This is miles from where he was, folks. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Folks, what that means is she was ready to give birth, all right? Could you imagine being that pregnant, riding on a donkey for that long? miles and this is while they were there the time came for her baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son she wrapped him in snug snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them they didn't have enough rewards points folks and they got put in an empty stable that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. So would you be. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in an animal feeding trough. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, read it with me, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those who question this morning. If God and sinner can be reconciled, who are we? If God and sinner can make peace, who are we to, listen, to withhold the offer, not the guarantee, not the guarantee that they'll understand or appreciate or reciprocate or even care like we do, but who are we to withhold the offer of reconciliation to others. If God and sinner can be reconciled, and we're about to celebrate that truth as the central meaning of Christmas, then who are we?
to withhold the offer of reconciliation to others. Theoretically, God could have forgiven us from a distance, but he didn't. How far did God reach to offer the gift of reconciliation? Only to be denied again and again and again and again. He went to incredible lengths to prepare that gift. So the challenge to you and me today is this. Say to the person next to you, demonstrate what we celebrate. Demonstrate what God has done for us in reconciling us to himself, to Jesus, by extending to those people whom you know you're out of sorts with this year. Extending to them, not just forgiveness. You've got to forgive from your heart whether they know it or not. But extending to them beyond yourself, beyond your comfort at times. Even just a small gesture. Small gesture of reconciliation. Because folks, Christmas makes hypocrites of all of us. Right? Especially those of us who claim to be Christians. God and sinners reconciled. That's good. I love it. Yeah, but sinner and sinner, not so much. I don't know about that. So as we close, let me ask you, who comes to mind? Who did you find yourself arguing with me in your mind about when I was talking? Who's done the damage? Who's created the dysfunction? Who's messed things up so much that... Up until today, you did not even consider ever talking to them or reaching out to them again. Who would you be willing to extend a small gesture of reconciliation towards this Christmas? A card, a note, a phone call, a gift, perhaps an invitation. Let me leave this last thought with you. Pursuit of peace, someone once said, without the promise of peace, is not a pointless pursuit. The pursuit of peace, there's no guarantee that they're going to reciprocate. There's no guarantee they're even going to care about your offer or your gesture. But the pursuit of peace, without that promise of peace, is not and is never all this because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. But your gesture, however small or large, is not pointless. I believe it will do something for you. It will do something in you. You never know. You never know what it might do in the heart of that other person. Would you be willing this Christmas to demonstrate celebrating, I encourage you to do so. Close your eyes. Lord, there are people that come to our minds as we end this time together. And I believe, Lord, it's so much easier to go on with the normal routine of the holidays to get stressed out about all the surface stuff 
because it distracts us from having to deal with the real stuff that's broken down. So as you bring people to our minds this holiday season, my prayer is that we would take the time, we would make the time to extend a small gesture of reconciling love, to give the gift of reconciliation without expecting anything back. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.